Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Stopping Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Small Doses. You all come here to hear good shit, to hear real shit, to also, you know, hear me talk my shit, etc. And... In the best of scenarios, you come here to hear from people who are living lives that you may have wanted to, but just don't have the time or don't have the vision or didn't have the exposure to. People who are actually on the ground making the changes that you complain about in your group chat. You know, people who are... Keeping the work alive that I feel like so many of us may have thought ended after the 60s and 70s. Like, I think people think there was a gap. Like, it was like Martin, Malcolm, Fanny, NWA. Like, I think that's kind of how people sometimes really think, not realizing that there are organizers on the ground who have been at this work consistently and need to be heard from and supported. And one of those people is our guest today, Miss Tracy Corder. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. <laughs> um, I appreciate the chin to the fist, like an Olin Mills. <laughs> so Tracy, I was uh, made aware of you and your organizer brilliance by Tia at Build Power. Um, and just for those of y'all who are listening, Build Power uh, is uh, the work of my homeboy, Kendrick Sampson, who you know as Nathan on Insecure, who I know as a light-skinned Texas, Texas nigga who never wears clothes. So that's, and who the police know as always at the front of a protest. Like, Kendrick is not here. Kendrick is a very pretty black man who is like, front and if shit go down I'm not worried about my face and I appreciate that from him so uh Tia was like Tracy is a G Tracy is really just about this work and so I want just in this conversation for you to just tell us on a basic level well I'll tell you this so I'm on tour right now with the smart funny and black tour I mean sorry with this with the black outside again tour which we are doing smart funny and black shows during that tour but when I'm going to cities what I've been doing is having organizers come on stage at the end of my show and talk about the work that they do why they do it and how people can get involved and so we've been doing that uh we were in Raleigh we were in Portland we were in Seattle and we're about to be in Houston and Detroit and a number of other cities and so I want to keep this thing going but I feel like that's a good framework for even this conversation like I would love to hear about the work you're doing why you're doing it how people can help but also how you got inspired to even pursue this path yeah I love that last question because I came out like I feel like when I got really inspired to be an organizer, it was through Obama's run in 07, 08. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have some complicated feelings about politics now, but I right. cannot lie and say I was not extremely inspired by that. Um, and so what was, it, what was it about it that inspired you? You know, I was young and naive and I thought it was going to change the world. I think I didn't understand the difference between national politics and local politics. I didn't understand the difference between organizing for the political party versus organizing in a community. Um, And so I just thought everything was under one umbrella. Um, I I live in Oakland, but I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. And I understood from a really young age, a lot of disparities. So I'd gone to like a private school and then I begged my mom because I was the only black kid there. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I was like a very smart nine-year-old. And I was like, mom, we got to talk about this. I I can't. Self-aware. Like this is not serving me. This is not serving (laughs) me. I can't be my best self here. The vibes are off. Whatever you said at nine. Right. 
Um, and so then I ended up going to my neighborhood school and it was, I was culture shocked by the lack of resources there. And so here I am fifth grade, like, well, it's not their fault. They can't read like me there. <laughs> it was just, you know, a mess. And so then it, got, it became like really clear to me that, oh, this isn't individual. This is systemic. And I understood that at 10. But was so, your, were your parents these type of thinkers? Because like, that's, that's very advanced if it's not coming from somewhere that's already mm-hmm. around you. My parents were so smart and I think they worked really hard to make me see things, but try to figure out when it, what was age appropriate. Yeah. But it's like, what is it age appropriate to tell you that people don't love you because of what you look like? When is that age appropriate? Well, um, at this point, three, because <laughs> right. Sesame Place. Exactly. And so like, for me, I mean, my parents were very involved. My mom stayed up at my school. My God. Um, I was one of the talk too much people. So, you know, when you say, what are the hey, kids girl. who had talk too much on their report card do? Here we hey, are. Hey, girl. <laughs> Here we are. Here we um, are. Talking. talking. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they were very involved. My dad owned a barbershop in the community before he passed. So there are people who still come to me when I'm in Milwaukee, like, your dad gave me my first haircut and it was free. You know, that kind of thing. It was, I remember growing up, I'd be like, we couldn't go anywhere without people waving at him. And I would be annoyed. Like, I'm just trying to go to. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to go to Walmart. Like, why are we even having to go to Walmart? But now I understand the value and the beauty in that. Mm -hmm. That in like a world that's so disconnected, my parents couldn't go anywhere without being stopped. That's beautiful. Yeah, so I I think they understood and then they wanted me to understand it, but they didn't say it to me in those words. They showed it to you. Yeah. And I think I was also really arrogant because I was like, I'm going to save the world. Naturally. Yes. Um, And so when I I was 11, I started writing down what I was doing every day on my calendar. Like every single day I would write down like something that I accomplished that day Mm because I was like, one day people are going to want to know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to know how I got here. So I got memoirs do it. already. You gotta know. <laughs> I gotta Y'all do wanna it. miss these very important. I gotta things. do it for the people. <laughs> what people? They'll be here. <laughs> and they'll love me, obviously. Um, and so I, you know, was like, I'm gonna be a social worker. My okay. dad was a little bit older, and so um he was like, I have a lot of siblings, and he was like, I'm not, I'm I'm not gonna be around for you like I was for your older siblings. People used to think he was my grandfather um when we would go out. And he's like, I want you to major in computers. What does that mean? Just in general. Yeah, just computers, the whole thing. So I majored in social work in college. And I didn't tell him until graduation day, like, oh, by the way, dad, you're here. Thank you for helping me get through this. But um, I'm a social worker. (laughs) Um, But in that time, you know, you have to do all these like practicums and these hours on the ground. and And I was like, Literally, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, giving out like sanitary packets to people who are, are like homeless teens um, on on State Street. Or I'm doing like paraprofessional counseling. Lord knows, I don't know why they let me counsel anybody um, with family. Wait, why? <laughs> I was a mess. I was like, we're not going to talk about that today, but I was a little <laughs> bit of a mess in college. And so like going from what I was doing to counseling somebody's family was like, whew, okay. Let me find out that you're telling a family, you know what? Fuck that nigga. What you need to do is. (laughs) That's essentially, I just be sitting there like, yes, let's, you know, but, um, but yeah, so I had like all of these really great experiences. And I think there was a lot of arrogance on my behalf. And then I got humbled. Um, My dad got really sick. Um, I became a caretaker with my mom. He passed away. Um, And then I learned what it was to like, you know, we weren't rich, but they hid that we weren't rich. I always had everything I needed. You know what I mean? Like, and if they didn't have something, when I didn't get it, it was a lesson to it. Like, well, you got to work for this. Really, it was like, we couldn't afford this. But the lesson was that I had to work for something. So reality hit me at like 22. Like, oh, no, we're kind of poor. <laughs> um, and so I picked up a second job. So I'm working full time as a social worker. Um with young people. 
through the system. And I had to pick up a second job working at a homeless shelter to help support my family. Um, so it was me, wow. my mom, my brother, and my, uh, my, my niece, who's, a, who's like my sister. Okay. And I was working uh, maybe 70, 80 hours a week. Girl. Um, and still trying to volunteer somewhere. It was, it was a lot. And that's when it really hit me that. Like, what made you feel like you still needed to volunteer somewhere? I, I, as a social worker, I was like, I got to do something, you know, it, but you it were like, do, but you, you it were felt like it was never enough. It definitely felt yeah. like it was never enough because here I am. I'm like, I'm doing care plans with young people about how to do things better. And I'm sitting in your house and the lights go out. Well, what is my care plan? If y'all can't pay the light bill, this is a societal issue. So how can I help address societal issues? And it was important for me um, that my brother and my niece understood that too. So we would do things like volunteer at food banks or whatever we could do um, in addition to that. Um, And it was a lot. And it also like was no longer about me helping someone else. It was about, no, the bus system is the system that my family uses now. You know, like my, so we my, need to work on this bus system being more efficient right. and okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I got to go sign up for energy assistance. I have to go do these things um, that my parents are taking care of before that I didn't know were happening. Um, and uh, eventually for me with becoming a social worker versus becoming an organizer, I, I really have a very strong opinion that any cop with a conscience should quit their job. And that's why agreed. And that's why I quit being a social worker. I was just feeding the carceral system. And there was like, it was arbitrary. I would go to court with young people and sometimes they would get sent to, uh, you know, detention. And if they were sitting up straight and wearing the tie that I had in my car that I'd be like, put this on, then they wouldn't. That's not the kind of, that's not the kind of system I want to serve. And so I wanted to do more. Um, so I ended up actually running for office in Milwaukee, didn't win, which was a blessing. Um, but it, it gave me this understanding of what office did you run for? I ran for Milwaukee County board. Um, and so they, um, really, I was like, there's no social workers on the board. There's nobody who understands where some of this, this funding flows and how it flows on the board. Um, and I remember that time it was in 2012 and there was a slate of young people who ran for the first time. Um, and some of them are still doing amazing things. Um, Mandela Barnes, who is running for, uh, us Senate in Wisconsin right now, um, was like part of like the slate of young people who ran in 2012. Yeah. Um, Yeah. People were really empowered. Um, and when I didn't win, I went to go work for Obama, um, doing like african-american outreach we called it <laughs> um for the state <laughs> calling the blacks <laughs> calling the blacks and i remember i loved going to events because it would be like older black women and they'd be like y'all 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 it's a it's a real black girl <laughs> and i was like what does that mean y'all what is this and i think that what they meant was i wasn't anybody who was stuck up because like i understood and i was you know i'm a natural talking to everybody and so they were so used to people who would come in parachute into town who weren't from there um talking mm. down to them and, and telling them what to do and i would get at a table and i'd be like okay so y'all what are we about to do right um and i really understood i really learned a lot about what organizing meant and what it meant to be quiet and listen to people and who listen yeah. better than me better than i did um and so, yeah, eventually was uh, trying to figure out what my next steps were, work on a couple campaigns. And then in 2014, I moved out to Colorado to work on a midterm. Um, so I was working, I was the only Black person on senior staff working on a Senate midterm. And then Mike Brown happened. Okay. Right. And nobody, okay. nobody was talking about it. So I'm distraught. I'm like watching the news coverage. I'm like going to work. And people are just walking around with their coffee mugs. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I can't do this anymore. So I kept my commitment in working on this that campaign, but I was like, never again will I work for anyone or any candidate or any institution that isn't directly talking about Black people. Got it. Like, I'm just not going to do that again. Yeah. Um, and so I uh, was like looking for what to do next. And so I come from a family that always has worked. So I have an older sister who lives in Texas. So after the campaign, I was like, well, I'm going to go down there and visit 
And so I'm unemployed and she was looking at me like, I don't, what does this mean? <laughs> what do you mean you don't have what, a job? What is, what is this? <laughs> like, how did this happen? Um, and so, but I really took my time to figure out what was next. And luckily I um, ended up working at this organization. I got hired at this organization called Oakland Rising. So I moved out to Oakland, California. Um, it started doing like in-community work, um, in-community politics and talking to everyday people, knocking on doors um, and like listening because I had to, I wasn't from here. Right. So I'm, from, I'm from Wisconsin. How, what am I going to tell somebody in <laughs> about what's happening? The t- about the town. About the town. You don't know nothing about town biz. Nothing. And, they'll t- and they'll let you know. Yes. They'll <laughs> even let you know that you're not pronouncing town biz correctly. And you're like, okay. I've been here for years and I'm like, I don't even know if I can say that. You know, like I'm just like, I don't. It, it, yes. I do I understand. That? <laughs> <laughs> so so um, it was it was really important to me. Some of the first work I did was decarceration work. It was around Prop 47 um, and reclassifying some felonies as misdemeanors and getting people out of jail. And then making sure that that was implemented correctly. Is that Kamala time? Kamala was, she ran for Senate a year after I was here. So it was kind of Kamala time. It was like the end of her DA run in the Bay. Okay. Mm -hmm. and I mean, Prop 47 was was through the state. Um, and we and just other like decarceration methods. I said at this um, Alameda County, it's the county that Oakland's in, a table talking about justice reinvestment and what it meant. So before we called it defund, we were saying justice reinvestment or invest, like divest. That. Yeah. Why um, did they change divest. it from justice reinvestment to defunding the police as like the language? I don't, I, I was not a part of that decision, but what I will say is that in 2017, I worked on a report called Freedom to Thrive, um, Reimagining Public Safety in Our Communities. And I would tell my friends about it and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. It was all about invest, divest. And then when defund became the popular demand, people were like, I can't believe y'all are saying that. You should just say reimagining public safety. Oh, should we? Because when I said that- You didn't You didn't, you didn't jump. Yeah. You didn't jump. And so there is something about having language that feels provocative that makes people jump. Yeah. Republicans, I, I remember- Are I'm masters at that, by the way. Right. So I'm from Wisconsin, so I know Scott Walker very well. I did a lot of union organizing under him when he was union busting. And he is the right of the right. And I remember when people were saying defund, he said, well, that's ridiculous. Obviously, we need police reform. Is that obvious? Because a couple of years ago, (laughs) you wouldn't have said that. Right. Well, you know what I'm saying? That was before he's like, "Mm, Minneapolis is real close. (laughs) Like they're right there. (laughs) Well, I don't even think he cares about that. I think that it is using language and using our organizing tactics to undermine our, our organizing tactics. Mm. People don't care what the language is. People care that there are police in Black neighborhoods. Right? Oh, like our Excessively and abundantly. Yeah. I mean, I think that people also, like, so, you know, there's people talking about, like, the purge bill in Illinois. <laughs> yeah. And even, and they even got me swept up for a second because I was like, wait, and I, I hit Kendrick. I hit, like, six different people, like, explain it. Because I'm not understanding. And there's, you know, this bill that's in, that's passed in Illinois, which identi- which basically eradicates cash bail in right. Illinois. And the way that it was being presented was that, you know, now the villains will be on the streets mm-hmm. instead of detained until they have their hearing. But then we forget that it's like, yeah, but all they needed to have was money in order to do that. Like Exactly. <laughs> that's it like the mm-hmm. druggist of drug dealers the murderers of murderers like if they're granted bail all they needed was money to get out and the majority of the people who are committing crimes that are crimes of you know desperation they're stuck in jail on cash bail because they don't have the money to get out of jail it's not because right. they're the most dangerous so mm-hmm. i think a lot of people like you said with provocative language they just get behind the fear of it all mm-hmm. 
And what I've been really trying to teach people, because I do this thing on my Instagram now called uh, Amanda and the Headlines on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays at 5 Pacific, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> um, but I've been really trying to talk to people about like how we read language, like how we read headlines. Like if a headline sounds crazy to you, Mm-hmm. That means that you need to do crazy research. Like it, the crazier the headline sounds, the more focused you need to be on research because exactly. that is what it's never what it actually is saying. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I saw like two headlines the other day. One was from Bloomberg and one was from, um, I think like the Washington Post. And then Bloomberg once said like California's law to fire fast food workers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then in the actual Washington Post article, it was like, um, landmark legislation passes to create a board <laughs> to reimagine hourly wages for fast food workers. Right. <laughs> What's the first thing you do when you wake up? For me, it's look at my phone. But I know for you, it's not checking your credit score. I mean, why would it be? Well, at Chime, that's exactly what they do. They literally wake up, open their eyes, and see what you're looking at on your FICO. With their secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can start to build credit with your own money. Chime reports your payments to credit bureaus to help you build credit over time. Their members see an increase of 30 points on average. All of this with no annual fees, large security deposits, or credit checks to apply. So to start your credit journey with Chime, do so right here. Sign up takes only two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score. Get started at Chime.com slash doses. That's Chime.com slash doses. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Card is issued by Stride Bank N.A. pursuant to a license from the Visa USA Chime checking account and $200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply for the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Regular on-time payment history can have a positive impact on your credit score. Impact to score may vary, and some user scores may not improve. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply, except at MoneyPass ATMs in a 7-Eleven or any AllPoint or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. If you like games on your phone, then you are like me because I am a big fan. I don't know if it's because I'm an introvert or I just like to use my brain. I think it's maybe a bit of the both, but I know that I'm always looking for something to do on my phone that can just... Get me some escapism, even for a little five minutes. And Best Fiends is a great option. Best Fiends is a super fun game that gives you an opportunity to save your fiends. Get it? It's like friends without the letter R. You got to save your fiends. And it's going to give you all these different tasks and all these different opportunities over the course of the game to upgrade your fiends, to make sure that they are doing their best work, and to give them as best of an effort to win the game. It keeps you involved, is what I'm saying. Like, it keeps you in it. It keeps you going. And what I love about it is that when I play, I'm always advancing, You know what I'm saying? Like you're always moving towards another goal because there's so many levels. Now, once you download Best Fiends, you can play anywhere, even without an internet connection, which is great if you're stuck without Wi-Fi. You can collect tons of fiends that get powered up as you play more levels, and every win brings new challenges, thousands of puzzles to play, new in-games events are added at all times, and like I said, with thousands of levels, there's always more to play. So get that enough is never enough feeling in your vibes. Download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play, plus earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. I mean, I think about, so the homies in Minneapolis, like Visions, um, did something like historic. And they ran a campaign following being in the streets. And I was, I, I, I went there for like the last week uh, to support however I could. And I was like looking at some of the opposition paperwork and the opposition messaging. And so someone brought in a mailer that they got from the opposition. And it was like um, a teddy bear with like a bullet hole and some blood coming out of it in the street. And it was like, these people want to abolish the police. And I'm like, is this a threat? Like, if, if the police are abolished, are y'all going to go, like, execute teddy bears? Like, what is the... What, is, what are y'all saying? What's the messaging? And so, it wasn't... I mean, the, what they were doing was never going to abolish police. It was really about saying, we should have a say. 
Like it was a change of charter to say we should have a say in what public safety looks like. Yes. And the opposition took it all the way to abolish the police because the only way they can win is to lie and yep. to scare. Yep. And to cheat. Yep. And they bring up about this vision, this this visioning and this messaging that is difficult to overcome when you're on the right side because you're not going to do that. The but, problem, though, is like how, like we're not going to do that. But listen, I was watching a Nelson Mandela interview recently, and he was like, you know, at a certain point, it was just like uh, we can't just keep dancing and singing, like these people are blowing us up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was like, so he said he realized that we were going to have to meet violence with violence. And it became about how do we put like, essentially the, how do we preserve our decency as long as possible? Mm-hmm. So he was like, so we started blowing up things that weren't, that didn't have people, but that like fucked up infrastructure. Right. You know, like radio towers and you know, shit like that. And that actually ended up being effective, but he was like, this reporter was like, yeah, but you would have gone to the next level if you needed to, right? And he was like, I mean, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will not confirm or deny anything like that. But I will say that if you look at some of the, um, the things that happened post-uprisings all over the country, people talked about it in a different way. People actually were saying things that we didn't hear in 2014. They were saying Black lives matter more than these buildings. Black lives matter more than your profit. Yes. That is that is a direct result of movement moving the conversation. Well, just for the record, I brought that up to say, not to say start blowing up people. I was no, using, I got you. <laughs> I was using it as uh I was using it as an allusion to the fact that I think there's so much effort made to not be like the the opposition, but there's like a certain level of shifting that we do have to do to even undermine them in a real way with language. Because I do think that to your point, there's people who are speaking ardently and earnestly, but then the ones who are the loudest want to be centrist. Mm -hmm. And that's not helpful. Well, it's also, I mean, and and this is, I'm sure why Tia told you about the work that we're doing. It's also about naming who the opposition is. Bingo. So the work that I'm doing right now with the People's Coalition for Safety and Freedom is to um, look at the 94 crime bill and the harms that it created and to repeal it and then replace it with something that was actually written by directly impacted people. Yes. The 94 crime bill was authored by Joe Biden, signed into law by Bill Clinton, voted on by Nancy Pelosi, voted on by Chuck Schumer, voted on by Bernie Sanders. But also heavily supported by the Black Caucus, by the, by the Congressional Black Caucus. Yeah. And, and I will say that, you know, there's always a story to tell. And, I, and I'm always looking back at like oral history or what happened in real time. Because even if you look at what hap- what's happening right now, right? Mm-hmm. So Biden just like gave, all, wanted to give all this extra money to police. Yeah. And he gave money to like officers of violence prevention. So this is the thing that they do. So if you are a person who runs the Office of Violence Prevention, of course you need to go get this money. So if yeah. you're at the White House and they have you in pictures, it also looks like... You're supporting you the police. Supporting the police when you're there to get your money. And so I think that there's also something to look back in the 90s and, and, and know, you know, like Bernie Sanders said, I mean, he's not, obviously not part of the Congressional Black Caucus, but he voted for it because of VAWA. You know, um, Bobby Rush, who's in Congress, said that this is one of the biggest mistakes he's ever made mm. in voting. Maxine Waters mm-hmm. never voted for it. <laughs> but like there are, she was like, no. No, y'all can <laughs> have that. Not. Absolutely not. Um, and so like there is a, there is like stories to tell. The Congressional Black Caucus tried to offer up alternative bill that got knocked down. Okay. So there is support for it. There are people who cap for it, obviously. But right. then there are also people who saw like, okay, this is going to pass anyway. So how do I like write money in for my district? How do I get this? Mm. How do I get that? And I think that that also happens. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that like I, There's I levels. am trying to look at the, I'm, I am trying, I'm working <laughs> on it. 
working on it (laughs) to try to see see the levels of like what people are thinking about. And so if we're talking about our opposition with police or like with policing or money to police, we're we're talking about Democrats. We know Republicans are going to always be law and order, but Democrats are trying to outlaw and order them. Ma'am. And so when we talk to what end, I mean, anti-blackness is real. Um, there's also profit in policing, you know, um, when we talk about, um, even as people talk about defund or talk about reducing police presence, they're also talking about increasing surveillance. Well, who gets that surveillance money? Mm. My colleague, Alex Goodwin, um, at Acre, um, actually in our race in the economy, all of the Wait, say it slower. Say it slower. (laughs) Wait, wait. Action Center on Race and the Economy, where I yes, work, my, my colleague Alex, who's in Chicago, um, is running a campaign against ShotSpotter, which is gunshot detection. ShotSpotter has already said that, oh, yeah, we don't really work. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they, they, they don't make public what is the difference between, like, a boom pop that comes from a firework versus uh-huh. a gun. Right. So what you end up having is somebody detecting something that might be guns and then dispatching police into our communities. Already turned up, already turned up because they feel the threat of violence and a firearm. Exactly. So there's, you know, like you said, there's levels, there's levels to profiting on this. There's levels to why people support this. Um, And, There's also, for me, when I think about how we talk about the work, you know, I I talk about abolition and I don't think, I don't think of abolition as like simply the absence of police or the absence of prisons. I think about it as the presence of the conditions so Mm -hmm. that we don't need those things. And so I, I have conversations with people and they're like, oh, well, these kids are wild in this neighborhood. We need to lock them up. Well, what actually would you like to see? Now, back in the day, I would roll my eyes at them. And be done. And I move. <laughs> <laughs> and you say you move on to the next house? Like, yeah, like, all right, you're not my people. You. Right, you're not my people. But what I've learned is, uh, you know, I'm not getting free without my mama or my grandma or my aunties or my uncles. I, that's not freedom to me. So I've got to have conversations with them. Yeah. And i got to get them where we going. Do you uh, feel like they they get on board? Like, what are the things you say that you feel like yeah. have been the most effective in turning someone around that corner that's really I, you know i was talking to my mom about invest divest for years and she's like yeah yeah, yeah baby whatever <laughs> and then she called me like a couple months ago and was like you know what i think i think we need to defund the police that's i right do, do you think that <laughs> tell me why and I forget, it was like something she saw on TV. I don't know what it was that hit for her, but it was some speech with somebody that she heard and she visualized this. This She didn't know how much, she's in Milwaukee, how much Milwaukee spent on policing. And so it was actually so... My, you- by, at the same time that Milwaukee was rated like one of the worst places to live in America for Black people. Yeah. Yeah, Wisconsin, constantly. One of the worst places to raise Black children. I mean, it's over and over, right? And so she's like, yeah, they need to have better, we need to have better schools. If we spend more money on schools and some of these cops, if we spend more money on... And so, like, actually offering people this alternative. And so before I do trainings, I always do this visualization because I'm kind of a hippie. So I'm like, close your eyes, dream with me, (laughs) breathe, let's vision. Um, And so I have people close their eyes and I walk them through this visualization of a good day. So it's about like your morning, afternoon, and evening, what you're feeling, smelling, touching, seeing. And at the end of it, I have them take a breath and open their eyes. And I say, raise your hand if you saw police in your day. And people never have. And so that's how I start the conversation. I'm not saying that I don't want you to be safe now. And we, there are things that happen that there is no alternative for people except to call the police. If somebody breaks into your car and you have to have a police report to get your insurance money, I can't be like, well, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's not what it's the, it's the, it's the, it's abolishing the way they police. It's Mm -hmm. abolishing the, 
the expectation of violence along with policing. Like for me, like that, it becomes like that basic. Like I don't consider police without violence. Right. And that's because of police the origins. <laughs> that's because the origins of policing. Yes. And, and police do not exist to protect us. Police exist to protect capital. Correct. Like, and something that basic, exist. and people like genuinely, people genuinely don't understand that. Because even when you say that, I don't think people still understand that when you're talking about the origin, you were the capital. Right. <laughs> like that's like, like bodies, black bodies were the capital that was being protected mm-hmm. and it was being protected by being snatched up and returned to the owner like a stolen car. Exactly. And that's why they started. That's the origin. And then you go deeper into it or you go, okay, so the next phase was they were union busters and they were violent. So they like existed to stop workers from organizing. And then they exist, you know what I'm saying? Like there is, there's not ever been a time where their job has been to protect us. That is propaganda. Thank you, Dick Wolf. Like Mm. that's not true. I mean, and that has been a conversation that's actually been on in like on the timeline. Um, John Oliver just did like a whole thing about how law and order, especially SVU, has given people like unrealistic expectations of what that looks like. And so that's what you know, when you look at something like VAWA, VAWA was like Violence Against Women Act, it gives money to the police. Why, if you have been hurt, assaulted, whatever, why do the police need to show up? Right? So why is it, and I've been, I've been. So such a basic question, but you're so right. That's because that's what, and that's the first thing people tell you to do, call the police. Yeah. So they can come take notes? Because it's not like they can stop what just happened to me. Right. So I've I've been with young women who I've, when I was a social worker, who I had to go take rape rape kits with, right? I've taken them. They've called me. They said this thing happened. I was like, yes, I'm going with you. And I sat there and it was an awful experience. It was hours. We had to wait. They had to call a a specific nurse who could come do the thing. And then the police come up and like talk to the person as if they like have, like they are questioned as if they were in the wrong. Yeah. So why would money for violence against women not go to make sure that the nurse who handles that is always there, or there is a nurse who could handle that always there at the hospital, that the person that comes to see you is not a police officer, but it's actually someone trained in trauma. That's those are the things. So when we talk about defunding the police, when we talk about ending these harmful systems, we're talking about, there are so like, let's start with talking about how many things the police do that are not necessary for them to do. <laughs> that someone else, another trained professional, would can be, come do and be better at. And be better at. That's the part for me. And I and I do think that we are making headway. You do? Especially in media. I do. I think in media. So I think about I think about um so we talked a little bit about the shows I watch. I'm also yeah. into Shondaland very deeply. Grey's Anatomy, Station 19, I'm there every Thursday. Okay. Um, and so years ago, Grey's Anatomy had, um, they had, it was at the height of, you know, people talking about this. They had a young black, a young black boy get killed for like going into his house. Like somebody, like a cop stopped him, thought he was a suspect, whatever. And they had the Jesse Williams character give a whole speech about uh, mandatory bias training. Like that was the like that was the answer that that they and gave. he was like it, saying that they needed to have that at Grace Loan. That, that the police needed it. Oh, okay. Right, okay. like that. That okay. was the thing. The police needed to ha- take man- have mandatory bias training. And then they turned around, and I was like, I was just like, okay, whatever. This is better than it has been. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> like, if you watch like you know law and order it's all properly so at least yeah we we did this we we solved this look right. at us in 2021 bum, bum. law um station 19 which is like the firefighter show right their whole thing was about creating alternatives to calling the police for mental health and there was a um 
interaction, like a horrible interaction between like the black firefighters and the cops. And I thought it was going to be like a was Boris in this. He was. He was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that voice. He was. He was. He was. Um, and so was Oak, who was, you know, also very fine. Yeah. But so um, they, but they had this interaction, and I thought, oh, it's going to be a one-off. And it really talked about incompetence in the department, and it wasn't. It was threaded throughout the whole season, and it's still something. You gonna and make me watch of, Station Nineteen? I'm a Station Nineteen fan. And part of it was like they changed. I mean, the beginning is a little bit of propaganda, to be clear, but they changed over time, um, over seasons. And so the, but anyway, so the the Oak character, Oak's character, started a crisis response without police. Like that was the answer to start like a crisis response unit that didn't involve police. We've never heard of anything like this before. On t- I have it on TV. No. Um, And they talked about, like, the friction between the fire department and the police department because, you know, they they told on them and because they stood up for their rights. Like, it was was the most realistic depiction. I mean, it was the most realistic depiction I've ever seen on TV. And so this is the same, like, Shonda Land in a few years that that told a different story based on where movement is moving. I mean, these are, it's it's really actually just as someone who's like in media and in this space, it actually means a lot to me to, to hear from someone like yourself who's on the ground in a real way, how you feel like this space does significantly affect, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the two spaces affecting each other in intricate ways. Because I think a lot of people have started this narrative where they're just like, like TV is a distraction and you, you know, like TVs and movies and, and the internet's like, it's a distraction. You need to stop watching this. And it's like, well, it's not realistic that people aren't going to, it's not realistic that people are going to disassociate themselves from these spaces. It's been around forever. Right. So yeah. media, but media is King. Like media has started wars and genocide mm-hmm. and all of these things. So I am somebody who's like very adamant about like, no, we have to have responsibility in media, like in a very like intrinsic way. It's not just like, don't say bad things. It's also like, no, very clearly say challenging things and, you know, stand up for something different. I mean, I was watching Handmaid's Tale and I was like, if, if we get to the end of this episode and this, (laughs) and, and, and no one gives her props for killing this evil man, then I'm not going to watch the show anymore because Mm -hmm. you need to have language like that people are watching shows and at this point so many people don't even know what's real and what's not like people are watching people were watching insecure like it was an a docuseries <laughs> yes they were i'm sorry <laughs> that happened to you <laughs> <laughs> like in a real way but I, I think that there's also something i mean as an organizer i think it's it, like i think it's on me to find where people are and have a conversation about it. Yeah, I can't tell people the way to like get free is to stop doing the thing that helps you like get away unwind. unwind. I like I don't want anybody telling me that. So I I think that there's a way to start. So I I had a conversation on I'm barely ever on Facebook, but I had a conversation on my Facebook. It was after I don't know if you saw this like viral TikTok um, about like. Um, a father had bought over food for just like one of the oh yes, mama's yes. house, and then the mom was upset because she has three other kids, and she was like, right. "Why would you only bring food for one child?" And so people were literally fighting for their lives <laughs> to defend a person for not feeding children. Correct. And I'm like, listen, I don't care about what's right or wrong. I'm saying if On a we base- can't feed each other's babies yes we can never get to abolition ma'am and that's just like the base and and i and i why am i I responsible for feeding this lady's other kids (laughs) i mean you're a human and if you have it and you can why wouldn't you because they're there and you know the situation why wouldn't you i would never take something to one kid and like have them like what eating in front of everybody else, mm-hmm. 
And I and I think that there's also this thing because there's this narrative about, oh, these kids don't care. They're so bad. They're just out here. Well, you just said you don't want to feed them. So what are they supposed to do for you? Hmm. If you don't care enough about them to take care of them, if you don't care enough about them to be community for them, and one of the basic ways that we show community is through safety, through food, through, through healing. If you can't do that, then why, why would we expect something different? And so I think that like, so instead of like getting into a yelling, a, a yelling match or being mad that people were engaging in the conversation, I engaged in the conversation and was able to talk to people about mm. what it meant to feed each other's babies. Did you, do you feel like any, do you feel like there were folks who admitted that, that, that you brought them to a different bottom line than they started at? I, I think so. I mean, some people are like, she don't deserve kids. And I was like, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. Next, but, next house. <laughs> right. But I do think, you know, I, I do think what, what I've said to people is like, we had this whole pandemic where we talked about and we praised mutual aid. So you can go and get, some of y'all are people who have volunteered. Mm-hmm. Do, so if that is the case, then why would you like fight so vehemently for your rights to not feed a child that you probably know? That you probably know. Well, baby, it's also your child's sibling. Siblings or cousin or friend, you know, whatever. <laughs> like in this situation, it's like, th- that's their brother. Right. Like it's not, j- you know what I mean? Like it's not, mm-hmm. it's just like it's some random kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mom is still mad that I went to a friend's house and the dad made me pay for my chicken nuggets in a drive-thru. Like she's right. <laughs> still mad. Like right. still mad. I'm 41. Remember so- that time? <laughs> Yes, I do. But it's like from TikTok to podcasts to shows on TV, all of this yes. makes sense. And we should, instead of telling people they shouldn't watch it, which, you know, I could have my own feelings about what people should watch or shouldn't watch. I'd rather engage people in conversation around it. So like SVU has been the bane of my existence for years now. Really? I yes. don't know. I don't, I've never watched it. That's the one with Mariska Hargitay. Mm-hmm. Hargit- okay. Mm-hmm. Because basically it gives people like this false understanding of what policing is. And people don't want a, a cop to show to their house. Show to their house. They want Olivia Benson to show up to their house. Because you SVU, know is specific, SVU is special victims unit? unit? Yeah. Like what makes it's it different a, than regular law and order? Um, that they deal with sex crimes. Oh! Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, especially heinous if you listen to the uh, intro. Um, so, but, and I used to be into it. I used to be into the show years and years ago. And then one day I was like, they got her acting like a social worker. You know what I mean? Or like, okay, they were misappropriating what an actual cop really does in this situation. Yes. And like being a person who had worked with victims of sexual violence and seeing how police really behaved, I couldn't abide by like continuing to watch it. I was like, oh no, 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 no. But I don't tell people you're stupid for watching this. <laughs> like I would never. <laughs> I start having conversations with people about what it looks like. And I joke about it. And I'm like, listen, I watch Criminal Minds. And guess what? If we're going to make some like, I don't know. We're going to have some wiggle room around abolition. Maybe it'll be cutting down serial killers. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But like being able to have that conversation with people, I think it's way more effective than telling them to turn turn off the TV when they're not going to turn it off. I appreciate that. People who won't turn off the TV. I think there's something you said though, early on in this conversation where you said, you know, you got good at listening and that's the other part. Like anybody really trying to listen. So even to have that conversation with folks, you got to listen to where they're coming from. And like, that takes a certain level of patience in itself. I feel like that is a whole other level of organizing, just being able to talk to people who aren't even in need, but are just affected by like stupid shit Mm -hmm. and just need some context. Some like there's this a uh, a whole level of charity around just like providing the proper context for folks and listening so that you can provide the context. Yes, because I remember I was I was like such a hothead. I was like, oh, electoral politics so stupid. I'm so done with it. Like after I had gotten mad about <laughs> you know electoral politics, but I was also like, but this is also where our people are. Hmm. 
Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, um, Mercedes Fulbright, she lives in Dallas, and she says, I can't throw away electoral politics without throwing, some, throwing away some of my people. I'm not willing to throw my people away. And when and you say electoral politics, like, specifically, what does that mean? Just like vote, just like voting for Democrats because they're better. <laughs> <laughs> like, or a little better, right? Um, it, it just, I hear you. I, I'm all of that. And there are rooms of people who I need to organize that I would get laughed out of if I told them not to vote. Absolutely. And so why would I put myself in a position when this, like I need to organize with these people, with this room of people, I need to organize with them. Why would I put myself in a position to be oppositional to them when we might disagree yeah. on only one or one thing or two things? We should be, I, I want to build coalition. And that also comes over time. And I understand, I understand how difficult it is because we are, I don't ever want to pretend like we're not facing really difficult times. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we have an administration, it's a democratic administration that has talked more about giving money to police than they have about giving money to Jackson, Mississippi so they can have water. Correct. That's real. And when people say that, they're not lying on this administration. When we talk about how the ease in which they wrote in the forgiveness for Mm -hmm. PPP loans. Yes. But all we're getting on student loans is 20K. There are people who that 20K is going to change their lives. Yes, ma'am. I'm not going to belittle those people. I'm never going to belittle those people. But I am going to talk to Joseph Biden and say, what's going on? Why is it that y'all are bragging about or like trying to dunk on Republicans for getting hundreds of thousands of dollars of PPP loans forgiven? So you're te- so what you're telling me is you can forgive more loans. That's what you. That's what I understand. <laughs> like, but I'm you know, there's many people who people. feel. But there's many people who feel like even addressing that is you attacking Joe Biden, thus undermining the effort to challenge Republicans. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much, I, I mean, I, I've been attacked mm-hmm. for literally just saying like, we need to challenge this. We need to speak up about this. And people are like, no, you are being disrespectful to the work that Joe Biden is doing. And you are undermining the unification of the democratic party mm-hmm. by creating dividing and i'm like what we're i'm not them i'm not these republicans who blindly follow and you shouldn't be either so why would you be instructing us to do that as is beyond my scope of comprehension it's also like when people are like well you told us to vote for biden and now look (laughs) now look look what you've done (laughs) um so I will say, I mean, I'm a part of many block of, I've been blocked by many, many people. Um, <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't have your level of like influence. And so thankfully people don't come at me as harshly as they do at you, but people have definitely come for me for a couple of things. Like I've been, um, so I expect Republicans to come for me. I've done a lot of like anti-Republican organizing. So I was one of the people on the ground every day during the Kavanaugh fight. So you remember when people were like disrupting and yes. all of that? I was like sending them in and be like, sis, put on a shirt. And say, <laughs> right. Yes, like, yes. Yeah. Um, um, the uh, woman, who, the woman who uh, confronted um, Jeff Flake on the elevator, my yeah. boss, <laughs> sent her there. We were like, sis, go do this. Right. And like, then she like really, really did it. Um, and then I, I do bird dog trainings, teaching people how to like confront politicians in public. And so I remember. Um, Would you call it bird dog? Oh, bird dogging. Yeah, and don't get don't make me lie to explain to you why it's called bird okay. dogging. I don't okay. want to do that. Okay, but it's something about hunting, and then you do something with the bird and a dog. I don't know. I see. Okay, white people told me about it. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> so, so um, but I remember I'm in DC. This is during the Kavanaugh fight in 2018, and they're like, "We're going to the airport. We're gonna bird dog Tracy. You've been a trainer. Why don't you come?" And I was like, "Oh my god, I just be training. I don't want to do this for real." <laughs> <laughs> and but I like you know I'm on the spot, so I, I go. Of course, I ended up going viral for bird dogging Mitch McConnell. Ooh, you got a big dog. Yeah, it was wild, and so. Um, 
What was I'll, your bird dog? Because I didn't I'll see that I'll video. See you, I'll send you the video. Be- it was because Anna Maria had blown up with Jeff Flake. Mm-hmm. That like this was like a kind of internet viral. But I will say that um, Fox News like played the video of me every day on a loop. <gasps> it was me and two other women. Um, and we were talking to him about the investigation into Kavanaugh. And so I asked him... The line I said to him is, because he was talking to other white men, I was like, do you always ignore women of color who are trying to talk to you for white men? I'll send you the video so that you can see it. <laughs> but um, Republicans came out of the woodwork. Like, attack me, attack me, attack me. How'd you deal with that? Um, Lots of filters. and uh, <laughs> a lot Did of it anti- fuck with your mentals at all? No, because I was too busy at the time. Perfect. Um, we were still on the ground, so we still had another couple weeks of Kavanaugh. So I, somebody else had my social media. Nice. Um, and by the time I got it back, it had died down. Um, so that happened, and that's expected. Uh, Mitch McConnell then wrote like a whole op-ed in his home paper, like I will not be intimidated. <laughs> like whatever. Shut up. Um, I did. I uh, with some with some friends. Um, and colleagues, we uh, took over the the social the federal socialist. I keep forgetting the name. The you know the big group of folks. Now I'm forgetting the name who who have all of these judges. So Amy Coney Barrett came from there. Brett Kavanaugh came from there. So they had this big dinner at mm. uh, the train station in D.C. And so we disrupted that. So outside, we're on like a megaphone and like disrupting it. We played uh, Christine Blasey Ford's like testimony, like while they were trying, like in line, like had it on like this big like moving billboard, Ooh. and then and then we when Brett Kavanaugh was giving his speech because we got we stuck some people in, we like blew rape whistles outside so that <gasps> we could disrupt it. <laughs> so I've been a part of like disruptions, and on the Republican side, you know, Democrats will praise you and say this is amazing. Um, and then as a black woman, especially when you stand up and you say, well, this is a democratic politician I like, or this is someone who I think I can work with. If it's not the right person, people will attack you. Mm-hmm. So I was part of this coalition, Black Women Four, who endorsed Elizabeth Warren in the primary. Okay. And the attacks were rampant and they weren't from Republicans. So, you know, I, I am always ready for that, I'm always ready for the backlash. And for me, I'm just like, look, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to mess up. I have people who I'm accountable to in my community who will snatch me up and call me in. And that's what I'm worried about. If my mom sees me doing something and calls me and said, what is this? <laughs> or if one of my right. OGs calls me and was like, what you just do out here? Then I know I'm wrong. Yes. But if that's not who calls me, I Keep feel on like I'm trucking. all right. Yeah. Well, tell us uh, before we go about the People's Coalition for Safety and Freedom and the work that you guys are doing. I see, I keep seeing people say, you know, Joe Biden is, is creating a new crime bill. Yes. He's writing a new crime bill. Uh-huh. Um, so if you could just give some insight into what that is and then also how People's Coalition for Safety and Freedom is working in undoing the previous crime bill. Yeah. So basically, uh, in 2019, a bunch of us came together and said, so we put out this report called Freedom to Thrive. It was about um, this real narrative shift. People will say, well, Black cities don't have enough money. That's why we don't have the things that we need. Mm -hmm. And we were like, that's not actually true. We have enough money. It's just being invested in policing and prisons and surveillance and Wall Street. Right. Um, and so that was like the frame that we actually do have enough. There's there's abundance there. We just we choose to use it wrong. And so we were like, well, what's a federal expression? Because we knew the elections were coming up. What's a federal expression of that? And we said the crime bill was exactly that. It not only gave money to police and incentivized like the building of prisons and three strike rules and all of the, the horrible things it did. It also changed the narrative around like policing in our communities and what it meant. So it went, I mean, I don't, I'm not old enough to have be like, this is what we said before in the seventies, but I will say that in the nineties, it really was like tough on crime. Mm -hmm. And even in Joe Biden's floor speech, he said, it doesn't matter how you got here. 
it matters that you did this crime. And even if we created a society that turned you this way, we have to punish you and we have to remove you. This is like, you can look at, find his floor speech. This is what he was saying. And that narrative really took off that the way to deal with crime in our communities was to essentially disappear people. Not to solve for people's needs, not to... Break the cycle uh, that made them. Break the cycle, but to like literally remove them, imprison them, and like break families up. Right. And I mean, because if we want to talk about family separation, that jail, prison is family separation. Yes. So um, we said, well, Joe Biden's running for president. Why don't we take this on as like a big project? And the crux of it was a lot of people would say, well, Black people wanted this. Even you were like, well, the CP, the CDC said, which is like a common narrative, that like Black people wanted this bill. And we said, okay, but it was the Black people who y'all let in the room. Everybody yep. in, in the communities didn't want this. Facts. So what would it look like if community who's directly impacted by this wrote the replacement? And so we came up with uh, people's processes um, that were held all over the country. So we engage with local organizations and local organizers, people previously incarcerated folks, people who were um, advocates, and said, what would you want a new bill to look like? So we've done that. And so now we're entering the drafting process to look and say, this is actually a new way to write legislation. This comes from the ground up because the way legislation is typically written is like somebody has an idea and then some person takes the idea in a room and a bunch of people write something and it comes out. And we're saying that's not transparent. What's transparent is our people telling you what we need and writing it for ourselves. And so I'm really excited to like start this phase where we're actually drafting the legislation and and hopefully taking it to Congress and getting introduced. Um, there's, uh, we've been working on this for a long time. Um, there's a lot of local groups and a lot of support that we've gotten along the way. And then there's been the bumps in the road because people, people feel scared to talk about policing in a real Mm. way. Um, people, people feel, uh, like they won't win an election, um, or that, Oh, you, you mean know, it's something politicians feel. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That something doesn't pull well. And I, and I try to remind people that more morally right things typically didn't pull well. That is correct, yeah. We had to push the polling. And so we've already started the conversation. We've pushed the conversation into the public sphere. And now we're changing minds with every conversation that we have. Um, and so... That's what we're doing. That's what we're working on. Um, and that's what I'm excited to be like sharing with the world. And, and I, there's something really for me exciting about previously incarcerated people and even people who are incarcerated now speaking about what would have kept them out of the system. Yeah. yeah. So it's not guessing. It's not no, guesswork. Straight this to is, the source. If this would have happened for me, my life would be different. Is it true that he is drafting a new crime bill? I think that when we, I, I, it's not like a complete bill. I think that would, but when he um, says he's going to increase police spending, that's or how I like understand. That, okay. Right. It's like, oh, this is crime bill 2.0. It's still the same understanding that the way to get deal. safety, right, in our communities is through policing and not through meeting needs. Okay. I. The way that people just say things and keep like someone on my Instagram yesterday was like, well, you know, it was my opinion that we should have boycotted the presidency. And okay. I was like, I, I would love if you could come on live right now and just explain to me what that like looks like, like boycotting the presidency. Like, what does that look like? Because I feel like there's often times that people say things and they don't really have an idea of what it actually looks like. Whereas when people challenge the phrase defund the police, there's an actual framework of what this looks like. There's mm-hmm. an actual, very clear, ex- like, and this is not new. So that w- what enlightened me today was you talking about just like different ways this has been referred to over time. Like this is not mm-hmm. something that was born out of George Floyd. Like, no, no, this has been addressed with different language and different entry points for years and years and years and years. And this is just the latest iteration of it. 
Um, I have, I, I have people say to me a lot of times, like, you know, the, the actual language that y'all should be using is reappropriating, reappropriating funds. Put it on a t-shirt. I'm sure everyone will love it and know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> so how and, can you, and what I, and what I say to something like that is, okay, cool. But can you still show up for the meetings? Can you, can you help with the organizing? Cause is it the language that's the barrier or do you not believe this? Cause if it's, if it's really the language, we can still show up and organize together. I think people use things like that as an excuse to not have to be a part of it. It's like, ah, no, this is like, it's too much. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, if you were a part of this, then maybe you could be a part of changing the language to be something that maybe is more inclusive if you have enough of a, you know, point of view that makes sense. But I, I think it's it's definitely a lot of people's way out of just saying like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to watch Grey's um, and just live in that fantasy world versus having to like notice the way this world is actually reflecting the real world that we're mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it is Acre's five year anniversary. It is. So congrats to Acre. And, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, cause when I went on the website, it was like, celebrate with us. So, <laughs> But I just really thank you for the work that you're doing and for sharing with us. And, you know, lastly, can you just tell people how they can get involved? Yeah, follow uh, the People's Coalition. I think our Twitter is probably the best way. Um, so People's Coalition is PPLS underscore coalition. Um, and it is that on both Twitter and um, Instagram. Again, it's PPLS underscore coalition. Um, and you will get all of the information. We put our op-eds up there. We do our um we do our live events. We were um we just finished doing a Sunday school session. Did you do one of the Sunday schools with us? Or not yeah. the, some, the summer schools? Yeah, yeah. So we broke down the crime bill uh with people like yourself um on Instagram Live and talked about how it impacts us today. Because I think that's the really important thing about the 94 crime bill is that it wasn't just 94 and one and done. It actually still has impacts today. Um and so we were and so all of that is still also on our um Instagram page. And then even it will have happened before um, this comes out. But on September 30th, I am uh, working with a group of individuals, uh, Black women, to put together a day without us, where we are removing ourselves from the economy um, and doing some online learning together and in-person pop-ups. And so that's Friday, September 30th. It's uh, called A Day Without Us. And so even though it will have passed, um, we still will have all of the information up um, around the teach-ins. Um, it, it was born out of, I think, a lot of anger and frustration from the Dobbs decision um, and Black women in the group chat because nothing mm. is more powerful than Black women in the group chat. Um, and I'm sure our group chat will be doing even more in the future. Thank you so much, Tracy. We really do appreciate it. I think there was a lot of learning that happened in this episode. I know you guys had a lot of learning. And uh, I just really... Again, I always love to point out just how the difference between activists and organizers and the truth that organizers, you guys are literally bringing people to the problem and taking the problem up the ladder. And that's something I think a lot of people don't really know how that happens. And it happens with people like you. So thank you very much. Thank you you for your service. (laughs) Thank you for your service. There we go. Star Bands Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.